Daily Aviation Podcast is presented as entertainment, not flight instruction. Though some participants are certified flight instructors, their comments, opinions, and discussions of flying techniques are theirs alone. None of the co-hosts or guests on this podcast are acting as your flight instructor. Please consult your own CFI for guidance on your specific flight training, aeronautical knowledge, and aircraft operation. This is the Stuck Mike Avcast, an aviation podcast about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly. Episode 147, Light Sport, Ultralights, Airports, and Weight Shift Trice with Pilot Jim G. Coming up next in this episode of the Stuck Mike Avcast. Now here are your co-hosts, Victoria Newville, Eric Crump, Larry Overstreet, Russ Rosleski, Tom Frick, Rick Felty, and Carl Valeri. Well, folks, welcome to the Stuck Mike Avcast. This evening, we have a special guest from the uncontrolled airspace, a friend of this podcast, and has been a a guest, but uh, more so on a live show, and that's Pilot Jim G. Pilot Jim G is somebody who's uh, a friend, somebody who's very interested in general aviation, a dynamic individual, knows a lot about a lot of things, GA, and has done so many things in many different areas that... You know, I, I'd love to learn about from airports to trikes, just like we mentioned in the beginning. Pilot Jim G, welcome to the podcast. Well, thanks, Carl. It's so cool to be on here and to be an honored guest. I am definitely honored. You, you uh, I know a lot of things about little things and a little bit about a lot of things, and but not everything about anything. So there you go. Wow, that was tough to say. That's a tough twister. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, uh, joining us this evening is uh, Rick Felty from uh, up north. Hello, hello. They had a little bit of rain this this past few days. Yeah, but it's but you know, but we we've we've had a nice mix of spring weather. We had a couple. We had a summer day or two for a while, and now it's now it's right where it needs to be. Yes, yes, it's great. Well, it's great to have you here. And the uh, and the and the allergies are finally stopping. Oh, oh thank don't, God! Don't even get me started. Thank God! It's uh, <laughs> yeah. I was just just flying into uh, Boston the other day. I love flying over, and of course, I love lighthouses. So I got to see Boston lights, uh, and, and yeah. it was just terrific. What a gorgeous night to fly! You know, I tell you, there's nothing better That's than a seeing cool a city. At night, when it's clear and all the lights are on, just it's just gorgeous. Yes, it is a cool approach yeah. over the water there. Let's do the pre-flight. Anyway, before we start, a quick uh, message from the sponsor. Of course, the sponsor of Stuck Mike Avcast is AviationCareersPodcast.com, where we have uh, career coaching. We also have interview preparation and one of the largest online directories of aerospace scholarships. You can go to aviationcareerspodcast.com to find out more about those services and also listen to the free podcast about aviation careers, all aviation careers. Now entering cruise flight. And uh, before we get started, I have also another quick announcement. Uh, we are, and this uh, by the time this comes out, this podcast, we're recording this in advance, we are moving the headquarters... Uh, the the large headquarters of the Stuck Mike Avcast and Aviation Careers podcast, which comes under Valeria Aviation, to Lakeland, Florida, and uh, yeah, so it's uh, it's an cool. exciting move for for myself. I'm actually uh, and and really in, in reality, what's happening is I'm moving about ten minutes away from Lakeland Airport. It's uh, kind of uh, it's a compromise, as we all know in aviation. This is the, one of the main reasons I'm mentioning this is you know we're all you know, love aviation, but we also have, a lot of us have spouses, significant others. Uh, and a lot of times we have to compromise on, on what it is we're going to do in aviation and how do we, how do we present ourselves and, and make available 
this hobby of ours, but also make available hobbies for our spouse and our significant other. And what we decided to do is this was a perfect location because I'm only 10 minutes away from an airport. I truly wanted to live on an airport. Uh, that didn't fly, so to speak. And uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's my only joke for the evening. And, and uh, the, the, <laughs> the wife said, uh, well, she, I won't tell what you said, but she said, definitely not, I think is the best way I should translate. Okay. And, and so I said, listen, why don't we go close to Polk State College, where I'm the coach right. of the flight team, and also be right there next to Sun and Fun Campus and uh, close to Orlando and also Tampa right. and, my jo- and my job. So it's been wonderful. Carl, there's, you folks may not know this, but uh, besides all of what you just mentioned at, at the Lakeland Airport, that airport is well situated for a variety of aviation activities. There is a, uh, a glider port about 30 miles north where you can uh, get your glider rating or glider license. Um, there is an airport over at Zephyr Hills, which is also which is about 40 minutes away by car, and they're, they're very active in... Uh, gyroplanes and weight shift trikes over there at Zephyr Hills. And there's a gentleman at Winter Haven Airport, which is only 10 minutes from uh, from Lakeland, who teaches tailwheel instruction in both a Piper Cub and a Stearman. So uh, Lakeland is sort of the locus of, of fun aviation activities in that area. I'm glad you mentioned that because one of the things we did, we, we did a circle, a 100-mile circle, and uh, what you just said, and then 10 times more, I found out, is available within a 100-mile radius. Uh, there's, there's air shows, light sports shows. We'll talk a little bit about that. And there's so many opportunities to get involved with aviation. Uh, and, and not only that, there's, there's so many fun activities associated with aviation. So, for instance, like what they did in Lakeland, that when pigs fly south, where they combined barbecue and aviation. And then they have car shows and aviation shows, all within a 100-mile radius. Uh, so oh, yeah. I, I'm, I'm really excited about that. Uh, but, uh, but anyway, Jim, I, I know one of the things that, that you know quite a bit about, and now that we're talking a little bit about light sport, and is the fact that you, you know something about general aviation and the, the personal flying more than most people do because you've actually owned an aircraft and you've flown many different aircraft. Uh, before we start talking about that, first give us yeah. a little bit of a background in, into your flying. You know, where are you in your flying uh, life right now? Well, uh, let's see. I've been, I got my first, first got my private pilot license in 2003. So we're into this for 14 years now, right? And um, I'm an instrument-rated private pilot, and I've flown all over the place in, a, as you say, a variety of different aircraft. But where I'm at right now, I uh, don't really much use airplanes for travel as I used to. So I've just gone with sport or recreational or however you want to say it, leisure aviation, the kind of flying that you do just to have fun, just to make circles in the sky and use up some gasoline. Um I branched out from air from fixed wing airplanes to sailplanes and ultralights and weight shift control trikes, um, just for all different kinds of flying. So you're one of those people that actually used your airplane as a tool to get somewhere. I did for the first couple of years. Uh, I was using it to uh, for travel to Oshkosh, to uh, Sun and Fun, to our vacation home, um, to visit friends, and a little bit for business. And that was a Cessna 182. And a, a 182 with an instrument rating will take you just about anywhere. Um, but we, 
we found that the need for that travel declined, and the 182 is a fairly expensive airplane f- just to burn holes in the sky. So that's when I uh, sold that and made a change. And that's cool because I, I think a lot of people don't realize this magic carpet that we have that we can use to, to get to these wonderful places. And, and that 182 turns you into that magic carpet when you, when you jump into it, I feel. Um, and, and one of the things that I think is neat, too, about, about you, Jim, is that you didn't, you didn't just give up on aviation. You said, hey, this is a lot of fun. Uh, I want to move forward. And there's so many people that are in the same boat. Like I got rid of my 182 that I was partners in and how to look towards another much more affordable methodology of flying. So I kind of want to get into that and, and your thought process as to how, how do you stay in aviation but do it a lot less expensively than with a 182 but uh, also get the same enjoyment? And uh, how, bring us a little bit through that journey. Well, sure. Um, <clears throat> first thing I did to get back into aviation was I, I got my glider um, – add-on rating, and I got it at the Lake Seminole Glider Port, which, as I mentioned, is about 30 miles north of Lakeland. So, of course, Carl, well, you're, when you move to Lakeland, you, you'll have no excuse not to get your glider rating. Uh, I won't. I will not. You're right. I'm definitely going to do that one. <laughs> and you can do it in a few days if, you're, if you already have a pilot's license. It's not that difficult. But flying gliders really reignites your connection with pure flying, because you're not worried about flight plans and you're not worried about transponder codes and you're not worried about, you know, manifold pressure gauges and all of that. It's just flying the airplane and flying the airplane and flying the airplane and landing the airplane. And, uh, that was really a terrific way to do it. And getting into soaring as a hobby is not all that expensive if you do it through a club. And that's mostly how um, soaring is done is it's in clubs so you don't have to buy your own sailplane and trail it around if you don't want to I mean you can if you want to but a lot of the folks who are into gliders join local clubs and they share two or three gliders they share the cost of the tow pilot and they just go out there on the weekends and mess around how like what what does it compare to like with a say a one seventy two how does it compare like cost wise as far as actually going out and and flying for fun is it like half oh it's not even a tenth um, say you're probably going to pay a few hundred to a thousand dollars as an initiation fee for a club and I'm sure they most charge a few hundred dollars a year for ongoing maintenance. For your share, and then you're going to pay probably thirty bucks a, ra- a tow for every time you take off. There's no per hour charge um, because you're not burning anything. So, for somebody who's coming from a 172 or 152 or any actually any powered airplane, it's a real shock because it's like it doesn't cost anything hardly. That's that's great. So. One of the things, though, you said is it only takes a couple of days. Uh, I, I'm sitting here thinking, gosh, do you, are you really proficient after those two days? No. You have a rating, mm-hmm. which allows you to to solo in the glider. Mm-hmm. That's what you're going to get in a couple of days. If you're, let's, I was a private pilot at the time, so we're looking at the add-on rating for a private pilot license. So I already had single-engine land, and I wanted to add glider. What that allows me to do is go up in the glider solo or with a passenger because it's you're at the private pilot level. You're not proficient and you're not going to be a soaring champion 
after a few days and you're not going to make long cross country flights, what you're going to do is going to be, you're going to be able to, um, go up and, uh, get a tow, go aloft, cut loose from the, from the tow plane and practice soaring and practice landings over and over again without an instructor. That, that's what it's going to let you do. Is that skill that's... something that kind of, uh, you know, is, is just like your instrument rating? It, it degrades over time or is it more like, say, your private pilot where, you know, once you get back in for an hour or two, you're ready to go? Well, of course, any skill degrades over time. But uh, and so does soaring. Then soaring, as if you're really into thermal soaring, where you're trying to find lift and stay aloft for as long as you can on a single tow. Uh, what that? Let me explain that. I mean, a tow plane is going to tow you up to two or three or four thousand feet, and you're going to pull a lever in the cockpit that disengages the tow rope from the glider, and then you're on your own without lift, without rising air the glider eventually will glide back to earth. Gravity always wins, right? <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> so you're coming down. You know, you're definitely going to be, you're be coming landing down, unless, unless you can find lift. And there are uh, gliding or soaring, I should say, soaring competitions for people uh, who love to go out and find lift and stay aloft as long as they can. And they'll stay up there for hours just from a single tow launch. Uh, but when you're new to it, or as you say, when if you've hung up the uh, hung up the the robe for a while and you get back into it, you know it'll take a while to warm up again. Also, just because you get a glider rating, that that means you can fly safely. It doesn't mean you're a great soaring pilot. So I took some lessons in soaring after I had the rating, and you know started to really learn about lift and how you work the lift and stay up. Um, when you get the rating, initially you really need to know how to land the glider. So you're concentrating on landing. Later on, you're concentrating on not landing. If that <laughs> right. makes sense, it totally does. It makes sense. I, you know, that's the. I don't know if Carl knows this. That's the. Before I did private pilot, a bunch of years before, I I did some I did some uh, gliding, but so, some lessons. I never got to a point where I was soloing, but. Um, but this whole discussion race is an interesting approach for me because I haven't been flying as much. And that might, like you said, that might be an interesting way for me to step back into it in a fun way is to, uh, is to get that rating, that add-on. It's yeah. kind of fun. It's a cool idea. And, and if you can do it with a club, that's going to be even yeah. less expensive. It will take you longer because you'll really right. be at the convenience of the club instructor. Right. Whereas if you go to a dedicated glider port, you know, then you can knock it out in one right. set of days. But either way, Rick, yeah. it's a, it's a low-cost entry and a low-cost way to stay flying. And yeah. if you get to a period where you're busy with your life outside of flying, outside of aviation, um, you know, you pay a little bit of money to keep your dues current in your, in your glider yeah. club. But way less than if you had joint ownership in a plane you weren't flying. Exactly. Yeah, that's a great idea. And uh, now, I assume if you went somewhere to to sort of bang it out, you know, a bunch of intense days or something you know, with a teacher and you got it done. And then you, and then you found a club, you would probably need to, do you get checked out with that club as part yes. of the joining process? Right. So they need yeah, to make sure you know what you're yeah. doing. Yeah. Makes sense. Cool. So Jim, do you, do you soar in other places besides down in Florida? Uh, I joined the local club here. I live near Philadelphia and I joined one of the local clubs for a season for a year. 
and um, it was it's a big club with a lot of people, and um, yeah, had a good time, messed around with them for a year. Uh, my life took a different turn, and um, so I didn't I I wasn't able to go back, but I also took lessons with a local instructor here in our area, so I was able to keep my foot into that. I'm not as active with it now because I'm sure we're going to move on to the next thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, but before we move on to the next topic, though, yeah. I think Rick, this is this is pretty awesome. I mean, I, I definitely want to do this myself. And yeah, um, one of the things though is I don't know about you, Rick, but yeah. I kind of I'm I'm kind of ignorant when it comes to soaring. Uh, yeah, I, it seems like it's a, a whole other world, a whole other society. I've seen it. Uh, my right. buddy owned a glider school, but. Uh, I know it's there's people that are interested listening right now. How do well, they get involved? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I'll just say that my dad my dad was into it. So as a kid, I, he, I was aware of his interest in it. And um, he was an engineer. And so a lot of it had to do with the, you know, the, the precision of knowing, you know, knowing where you were and knowing the limits and being able to get back to the airport safely without without power. I think he liked that that challenge of that thinking. I'll, and, I'll um, tell you, when you fly powered aircraft, if you yeah. have – experience in gliders you feel a whole lot more confident about not having that motor that's cool yeah i bet and and you know just being aware you can't you can't goose a little power in on on final you know <laughs> i mean it is what it is so you so judging and learning that's a lot of the learning process is learning how to time that out learning how yep. to be in the right place at the right time and then as you expand your ability like you were talking about with soaring i which i didn't get into but you know looking for thermals um and depending where you are, you you learn to look for different things. Uh, there, you know, there's ridge soaring, right? And there's right. there's uh, also just you know you look for areas of you know in some cases like you know near Philadelphia or I, you know I was outside of Chicago. You know, you're looking for like sometimes pavement. A lot of pavement will yep. generate hot you know shopping hot air, shopping, shopping malls. centers exactly. Yeah. So it's stuff like that. It's really very it's a whole different kind of thing. Although the stick and rudder stuff is pretty cool. My my um. My challenge when I was starting out, just just I didn't never I, I didn't feel comfortable with it, and I need to was the, was the toe was uh, keeping the keeping the glider in the right position relative to the toe plane, and that's I also wasn't a private pilot yet, so I didn't know a lot about a lot of things, but I remember finding that challenging. That the rest of it when I was on my own was made sense. You know, I could just manage it, but working. So I don't know how, if you have any thoughts about that, Jim, yeah. but that was, that was something where I, I just felt like I, if I, you know, you get slack in that rope, you don't want to get slack in that rope. You got to, you know, keep your relative position the same. Uh, I don't know. Tell, can you talk about that a little bit or is that no big deal? It, was it, a big, it, is, part for me. it is a big deal. And it's yeah. one of the most challenging aspects of learning to fly gliders uh, learning to that is learning to position the glider properly mm -hmm. behind the tow plane on a tow. Yeah, uh, I wish Larry were on this call. Larry Overstreet were on this call because he's a he's a glider tow pilot at his right. club. Um, right. It takes practice. When I right. say it's the most challenging, that doesn't mean it's particularly challenging. No, it's, that's the most challenging aspect. Right. Exactly. It, it's it. sort of like tennis. It's a it's a tennis kind of skill. It's aiming, getting your hand-eye coordination right, getting the aim right, the feel of your hand right. And it's the kind of thing where if you do it every day or every week, it comes naturally after a while, like tennis. Right. But right. if you haven't done it in two or three years, you get in there and, oh, my goodness, are you rusty. Well, you're over, you know, it's my memory of it was easily overcompensating, you know, oversteering. Yep. You know, okay, so you, you try so. to correct and then you're too high and correct, then you're too low. You're just bobbing up and down or whatever. Um, so, yeah, I, I look forward. That will be fun to, to get back into. But I have much more experience now than I 
certainly than I did in general. So I think I would come at it differently. So that was one thought. I, I didn't mean to go off on that tangent, Carl. No, if you no want that's to talk awesome. About yeah, that, no, that was great. That was yeah. great. Rick, you, you mentioned about uh, getting started in aviation. And yeah. I'll just put a plug in for soaring because it is a good way to get started. You, um, you don't need any medical certificate of any kind, not even a driver's license. And you, I think you can start at 14 and solo at 15. I'm not, I, sorry if I don't remember. I think that. it's earlier, but I don't know. Is that. it earlier? Okay. And maybe one year earlier. I don't know. And it's a very social recreational sport because you need lots of people. You need someone to, to, the, to drive the tow plane and someone to hold the glider. And, and so it's done in clubs. And the point there is if somebody's reluctant, hesitant to say, call up a flight school and schedule a lesson they might not be as hesitant to just simply walk over, uh, come on out to the airport when the glider club is operating. Because all you have to do is walk over to the group of people standing there and say, hello, what's this? And somebody will say, it's a glider, get in. <laughs> it's just how it's done. One of the things that I think is a great resource, which we, we really would be remiss if we didn't mention, is the Soaring Society of America they have an awesome website that answers all the questions that we're talking yeah. about right now. And, That's, I just uh, found my way there, too, to get the answer to yeah, that age number. Yeah, the, it, you can solo at 14, uh, which is, uh-huh. is amazing because I, I have friends that have done that. They absolutely love it, uh, and it's so much less expensive. And when I started soaring, I was like, wow, this is really cool. Uh, but then I got into Powered, and, and I didn't finish my ratings. One of the things that I think everybody should do is look at this as, as a hobby. I think it's terrific. It can add to your proficiency as a pilot no matter what you do. And uh, to find out more, it's at Soaring Society of America, which is ssa.org, ssa.org. And we'll have links to that in the, uh, in the podcast show notes. One of uh, some really, really nice folks there. And what's kind of interesting, I don't know, Jim, I'd love to get your thoughts on this. I kind of felt... Like it was a little more like laid back the society uh, in the soaring society. What what do you feel? Um, yeah, it. Well, I guess it depends on people everywhere. If you're in a local club like the one I was in, where it's just people from the area who want to use a sailplane without buying one, it's very laid back. But if you're in competition soaring competitions and there are formal organized soaring competitions under the SSA that's not laid back those are athletes uh, sportsmen who are trying to win prizes and beat each other and um, that doesn't mean it isn't fun but it's probably not laid back because you do want to win they um and and you're definitely right about that talking to people that are into that but they, on on a recreational basis where they uh you know going out to the airport it just it seemed when I was out there my friend owned a you know a glider club and a glider port and he absolutely loved it and one of the reasons is because we just hang out and have a corn roast and that kind of thing and I guess the same thing happens in general aviation so I can't just say that yeah. that's that's unique yeah. to that that's but, very uh, very much the same I'll tell you one thing for those pilots uh, who are thinking about this rating. Your your coordination, your rudder coordination skills will never be as good as they will be when you do soaring, um, because if you're uncoordinated, you're not going to go very far in a glider, in a sailplane. <laughs> you know, Jim, a lot of people probably are interested in gliding, but they also want to want to get somewhere besides a glider port and go have lunch, uh, you know, 100 miles away or 50 miles away, that $100 hamburger. Another option 
I feel that is a really good option is, is the light sport aircraft. And um, I know that you had mentioned this, we mentioned this in the beginning, but you're a real advocate of light sport aircraft and light sport flying. And uh, I was wondering, if, why is that? Why, why, what is the advantage to us as pilots to going towards the light sport aircraft and light sport flying? Um, it's, a, it's a simpler way of flying. I'll, I'll put it that way. The light sport aircraft are restricted to being simple operating machines, no retractable gear, um, constant speed, uh, sorry, constant pitch propellers, so you don't have manifold pressure to deal with. Um, there are only two seats. You're not going to take them in instrument conditions. It's just a simpler, less expensive entry level for flying and a way to continue flying for people like us, or like I shouldn't put you in this, Carl, but people like me who have decided that having a more complex machine for long distance cross countries is no longer necessary and they and we can step down into light sport, have an easy to maintain, less expensive aircraft that we don't feel is we don't feel guilty for not flying it so much. Um, the gas is less expensive. I, I don't I don't know if you know this, but Rotax, R O T A X, an Austrian company, makes ninety percent of the motors used in light sport aircraft. Eighty-five to ninety percent thereabouts. Very dominant market share. That motor is very famous for uh, use running at about four to five gallons per hour of ordinary well, premium, ordinary automobile gasoline from your local corner gas station. So if you compare that to 10 gallons an hour in a 182 or 9 gallons an hour in a 172 of $6, 6 buck a gallon of gas, you know, you've just cut, you've just caught your operating cost in, in half just by the gasoline. Um, the cost of so acquisition that, is uh, a little bit lower for a brand new light sport compared to a production, right? Yes, the, because the, um, the cost of certification under Part 23 of the FARs is very high. An airplane that is cert a new model certified under Part 23 has to pass an incredible regimen of testing. Uh, and just because those are those can be put into um, commercial service for charters and, and you know taking paying passengers, light sport aircraft are not allowed to be taken into commercial service for carrying paying passengers, except for flight training. And so, therefore, the certification standards are much less. What they've done with the light sport, rather than the FAA creating all the standards and having FAA inspectors available to um, verify everything. It's, a, it's an industry-driven regime that takes a little explanation. The FAA did not want the resources of the FAA, of the taxpayer, used to create and monitor the light sport industry. So the light sport manufacturers came together under the auspices of the ASTM, the American Society for Testing and Materials. The ASTM are experts in creating standards. They create standards for steel and plumbing and structural things and all kind of tools and whatnot. So they had that expertise. So the, the light support manufacturers 
came together with the ASTM under the FAA's guidance, but it's the industry in a standard-making committee that came up with standards. And the standards talk about how the plane is to be constructed, how the documentation is to be written, how the maintenance procedures are to be documented, how the licensing is to be done, everything from top to bottom. They created a whole new world um, of light sport completely decoupled from FAA day-to-day involvement. It doesn't mean the FAA doesn't have oversight over the whole thing. They obviously do. But it's at very low taxpayer expense because it's non-commercial. So one of the things that I have found is there's an, there's this argument I hear quite often uh, or concern is that they look at a brand new light sport and someone will say, well, that's not that cheap. I'm going to spend 130000 But uh, that 130000 no. is on the high end, and, and you're looking at something that has some amazing avionics. And I, I right. always call it IFR because it looks like an instrument airplane, doesn't it? It, it does. And the instrumentation in a uh, light support aircraft can be far above what you find in typical, you know, Part 23 certified private uh, private airplanes or personal aircraft because, again... The certification is by industry consensus standards, not by the FAA signing off technical standards orders. Um, if you want to do a modification on a Cessna 172, a major modification, or if Cessna wants to change the design of the panel, they have to go through FAA certification, which means hiring engineers, documenting the engineering, doing tests, and all the rest of it. In the light sport world, if the industry says, you know, this particular brand of avionics is acceptable because it meets these standards, that's it. The manufacturers can just put them in. Every manufacturer does not have to go individually to the FAA for permission. So it does, that's what enables the light sport aircraft to have the more advanced electronics, the more advanced avionics. And $130,000 for a personal two-seat airplane may sound like a lot, but that's, you're talking about brand new. You're talking about brand new. Go price out a brand new Cessna 172 <laughs> with a glass panel. I bet you it's north of three, dollars $400,000. These I haven't looked for one recently, but yeah. I'll bet you it's in that range. Oh, most definitely. And, and the costs are much higher. And, right. And also, the other interesting thing is that uh, one of the things that I found is there's a lot of safety features within the light sport that I didn't realize they had. When I first flew a light sport, it was a sport cruiser, and they had a parachute, a ballistic parachute. That was surprising. Yep. Again, most of the um, most of the light sports have parachutes. Uh, most of them have the, was it ballistic, BRS, BRS ballistic recovery systems parachute. Because those parachutes are manufactured as a standard product that can be put into the design of a light sport, ultralight, whatever. If you were, again, to put that into a 172, by comparison, or a Piper Warrior or Archer or one of those airplanes, you would have to go to the FAA with your engineering data and um, go through some fairly rigorous testing to do that. Because you're changing the design of a model that they have accepted. Not so in the light sport world. The light sport world has, has said that the BRS parachute is acceptable. And the manufacturer, it's on the manufacturer to document how that is to be installed and maintained. 
Now, the, it's not the wild, wild west. The manufacturers can't do anything they want. Remember, there's a set of standards published by the ASTM, which they must follow. Does that, does that help? So, yeah, and but one of the things, let's go back to actually learning to fly. The light sport, if, if I'm really interested, hmm? I, I'm going to go out there and fly one as a private pilot like you've done, but there's people that are getting started and saying, hey, you know, maybe I'll go the light sport route. I, I'm wondering, you know, how much less that would be cost-wise for the individual. So thinking yeah, of just starting out. Well, yeah, let's, take, let's, let's talk about the, what's called the sport pilot license. So to keep our terminology straight, we have light sport aircraft, LSA, and sport pilot license, or just sport pilot. Mm-hmm. And the sport pilot license is about half the cost of a private pilot license. Mm-hmm. And the reason it's half the cost is because the FA requires half as many hours, and the curriculum is a little bit more than half as long. For example, I'll give you an example. Flying at night. Flying at night is required for a private pilot. A private pilot must demonstrate competence at flying and landing an airplane in the dark. Sport pilots are not allowed to operate or land airplanes in the dark. So it's not even in the curriculum. Okay? Fascinating. Operating at a towered airport, um, a private pilot is required to do a solo flight where he does, I think it's three takeoffs and landings at a towered airport as as a student pilot. But a sport pilot is not required to do that. It doesn't mean you shouldn't, but you're not required to. You can actually get the sport pilot license without having that training. Um, So it is about, so it's estimated to be about half the cost of a private pilot license. Now, you're going to accept some restrictions with a sport pilot license. Number one, you can't fly at night. Number two, you're going to be restricted to flying light sport aircraft, which means no more than two seats. And that's probably the biggest restriction. It means you can't take your family. You can just take one passenger. Um, You're restricted to flying below 10,000 feet. I don't think that's a big restriction. I don't know that many private pilots that enjoy flying above 10,000 feet. Um, You need a little extra training and a sign-off if you're going to tower-controlled airports. But, you know, for people who want that, it's not that hard to achieve. So really, the restrictions are speed, speed of the airplane, 120 knots, and two seats. That that's probably the biggest restriction. Those two things, but otherwise, for half the cost, you're you're a you're a pilot. Even a sport pilot is a licensed pilot who can own an airplane, get in it, and go somewhere. There's no restriction for sport pilots as to how far they can go. And sport pilots can fly their light sport aircraft from Maine to California if they want to. And now the Bahamas. 
which I think is is yeah. excellent. And and the bombs. Yeah, so they they've realized yeah. that it's it's economically a good thing for them, and to invite those people over because it's just across the the pond there, the Gulf Stream, I should say, and it's a it's a short little hop. The light sport pilot certificate is is you know we talk a lot about airplane single engine, but it's also applicable to the gliders and the lighter than air and and uh, and even rotorcraft, but with yeah. certain restrictions there. Yeah, you can you can get a sport pilot license for gliders, and you'd be restricted to flying sport um, light sport gliders uh, as opposed to Part Twenty Three certified gliders. Um, the um, that's not really such um, a restriction, except that many of the high performance soaring machines were certified under Part Twenty Three. Uh, but nowadays there are, are light sport gliders. Pipistrelle in particular comes to mind for those who want to look that up. <clears throat> they make a number of light sport gliders. Um, almost all of the weight shift or so-called powered hang gliders, weight shift control aircraft, are are certificated under the light sport rules, not as Part 23. So the sport pilot will get you into all of those. Um the only thing it won't get you into is helicopters. All the, there's no such thing as light sport rotorcraft. Interesting. I've, I have a question. Just if I, you know, if, I, if I'll play the role of someone who was is going to explore going in that direction, whether I'm already a pilot or I'm looking to, to, just to concentrate on light sport and go with that um, uh, license. Uh, types of types of light sport planes. Is there a sense that you could give us uh, about? What people might want to look out for, what, what what's out there, you know, is it is it is it they're all great? Um, are there, you know, is it is it just the same as any other kind of plane selection, high and low wing speeds, you know, um, or, or or are there things that you know from having done it that you could tell us <laughs> about the planes themselves? Sure. With a sport pilot license, you really have a great a large variety of things you can fly. Um, and we'll talk about the variety of light sport aircraft here in a second, but I just, I need to throw in in case people have heard it and they're not sure. There are a couple of certificated part 23 standard category airplanes that you're eligible to fly with a light sport. I'm sorry, with a sport pilot license. See, these are tongue twisters and you get yourself all wrapped around the words. The Sport Pilot License will let you fly a Piper Cub. Why the Piper Cub? Well, we know the Piper Cub was not certificated under the Light Sport rules. <laughs> right. It predates the Sport Pilot rules by 70 years or something like that. <laughs> but um, the reason that you're allowed to, a Sport Pilot can pilot a Piper Cub is that a Piper Cub weighs less than the mandated maximum 1,320 pounds has a maximum speed of uh, less than the mandated 120 knot maximum has no more than the two mandated two seats <laughs> has a um, uh, fixed pitch propeller it has fixed gear so it meets all the rules of a light sport aircraft even though it is not legally a light sport aircraft it's we could call it sport pilot eligible or light sport equivalent or something like that mm -hmm. um, it's the Piper Cub the Aronka Champ the certain models of air coop and probably there's one or two others that I'm not. Interesting. Remembering. 
But looking at the LSAs, the real LSAs, <clears throat> the ones that have a airworthiness certificate that has stamped on it, light sport, those guys, there's a tremendous variety. Uh, there are light sport aircrafts that are made for bush flying, so they're big tundra tires and huge flaps. and um, They look like Piper Cubs on steroids. They don't go very fast, but they certainly can get in and out of some backyards. And then there are light sport aircraft that are made for speed. Speed is relative. As I said before, the light sport aircraft have a speed limit. They're all limited to 120 knots. But there are ones that are made to go 120 knots if, you, if that's what you want. There are high wings. There are low wings. There are ones with uh, bigger windows, smaller windows, um, open cockpits, all kinds of things. Uh, you know, it depends on how you see yourself flying, right. how you see yourself getting into flying. If you're getting into go ahead. I was just going to say it's shake. It's shaken out enough now over time that any, what's out there is pretty. You know, it, it's a it's a valid option, and it does matter then your choice, your preference. You know, like yeah. the issue of like high wing, low wing, or whatever. Right, and the, and the beauty of light sport is that uh, because of the lower cost of entry, right, all you have to do is meet these standards to be a manufacturer. You've got 50 or 60 manufacturers in the light sport world, and, uh, and we can ah. talk later about a resource where you can get a list of all those. Cool. Whereas in the certified world, I mean, how many people are building Part right. 23 certified personal aircraft? I think we can list them on, you know, just about on one hand. Right. Because to get into that world as a manufacturer is a tremendous cost of entry. So we do have a greater diversity of the types of uh, models available in the, in the, in the LSA world. The, the, you know, now they've only been made for 10, 10, 12 years, so we don't have the history. We don't have 50, 60, 70 years worth of production as we do in the other world. But All right. But 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 on the other hand, you don't have to buy a fifty-year-old airplane to get an affordable right. airplane. <laughs> right. Exactly. Cool. That's a, that's a really important point. And and you know we would be remiss if we didn't mention Dan Johnson. Dan Johnson has a website buydanjohnson.com. And that's that's I where think, I was going. With that. I, I was going to say that I, I just realized what you were doing there. But uh, he, I know you can talk at length about Dan. But he's a wonderful individual. Absolutely loves light sport. And he's he's somebody that is the go-to person and has, I don't know how many reviews. Uh, it has to be over a thousand reviews of different light sports. Yep. I love his video reviews oh. because he yeah. gets in the airplane and he, he knows the right questions to ask of the salespeople. And, you know, he knows the right things, how to categorize a light sport aircraft because he's reviewed them all. One of the things he's he's really good about is just relating to people and, and taking them through the steps as to understanding what the light sport pilot certificate is. Uh, and uh, Oh, and the other thing, too, is he, he makes you realize there's just about every type of aircraft that you can fly. Uh, I think we, we said before that you, you can't get your helicopter, but you still can get a rotocraft. It's a gyroplane. Gyroplane is yep. a rotocraft. So there you gyroplane. go. Gyroplane. Yep. And, and also you can fly trikes, and, and that's absolutely phenomenal. And, yep. you know, another thing that I think, remember we used to have conversations about is light sport dead and is it really going to survive? Well, it sure is. And there's, there's really evidence of that, I think, by look at, look at in Florida, in central Florida, we have what? We have DeLand, 
the uh, the sport aviation uh, the land sport aviation showcase. Let's make sure I say right. that right, so I don't say that right. Yep. And and also we also have the sport aviation expo in Sebring Se- every year. In Sebring, and, yep. Mm-hmm. And, and both of those are absolutely phenomenal events. And also bringing in some incredibly talented people. We actually have air shows now at those events. And these expos are people that truly are interested in flying. And it, it's, a, it's a different demographic. It's people that, that really aren't looking for the, the jet, obviously. They're looking for something they can go around and enjoy the bugs in their teeth kind of feeling. And, and getting out and actually flying and having fun. And, Jim, I, I was wondering, have you been to those? I, and I apologize if I've seen you at one of those shows. Have you been to any of those shows? Yep, I've been to the Sebring show once, um, uh, unfortunately only once, but uh, I had a great time when I was there, and they did some, they do demonstrations, and they do have an air show, but the air show was very much abbreviated compared with those people may be used to from, say, Sun and Fun and Air Venture, and the reason they did that is that they want the vendors to have a chance to take people up in the airplanes. And so most of the day, people are flying rather than watching an air show. And that's very important at those shows because, you know, people don't want to watch others fly light sport aircraft. They want to get in them and see what it's like. And that's why they go towards them. Yep. You know, there's another resource, too, I'd love to talk about, and that's uh, the EAA has a real good explanation of light sport and how to go through that. We'll have a link on the website to that one. I think that, that is just awesome. One other thing I want to throw in there before we get off the set, before we finish, uh, before we leave Lightsport, I guess, um, and that a lot of people don't realize this. Lightsport is an entire world. So you have the airplanes, you have the pilot certificates, but you also have repairman certificates in the Lightsport world. I don't know if you guys know about this, but they created as part of the Lightsport world a new type of maintenance technician. So we all know about the A&P, the airframe and power plant mechanic. That's the classic mechanic in the airline, in the airplane world. Um, but now there is a light sport repairman certificate. And with that certificate, you can, someone can repair light sport aircraft. And then again, lower cost of entry, shorter amount of time required because you're op- you are doing repairs on simpler um, equipment that's not being put into commercial service, ex- except for flight training. Um, and so I don't know if everybody knows that. And that's an important thing to keep in mind, because now if you purchase a light sport aircraft, you, have the op- you don't have to, but you at least have the opportunity to take the training and become a repairman and repair it yourself. You know, one of the people, speaking of the training... Uh, and it's less training than the airframe and power plant uh, that does a great job, I feel, is Lockwood Aviation. They actually do the training for the, the repairman certificate. And you only have to be 18 years old to do that. And, and yeah, they, they, don't, they do one type of repairman certificate, but they right. don't do the, the major one. Uh, the major That's one right. is yeah. is done by Rainbow Aviation in Corning, California. Just I I I just want to make sure I didn't leave them out. Yes, definitely keep them in there. So we'll have all these links. This is so exciting because I think uh, a lot of people don't realize how incredibly important this light sport is and how wonderful uh, the certificate is. And I'll tell you why I feel it's wonderful. As guys where I work, you know, flying the airliners, they always talk about going to light sport. And I'll tell you one of the reasons is the medical. You know, you, you don't have to worry about 
going through the medical process. It's a little bit different than what they've been going through. It does require that you have had an uh, FAA medical certificate, third class, or had a current valid U.S. driver's license, okay? Yeah. And you cannot have had that revoked or suspended, meaning the medical certificate. But most That's people right. have that. And in other words, they finish up their career and they're like, I don't want to deal with the medical certificate with the FAA anymore and worrying about I'm going to lose my job. It's like a sense of freedom, and that's exactly what light sport does. It gives us that sense of freedom again. It does. And, it, and for those who have to have multiple tests and doctor appointments to document their comp- you know, there's there's compliance with the medical certificate. It gives you a whole bunch of time back is what it does. So at, we, we talked a lot about the light sport. And yeah. one of the things, we're definitely going to have to have you back on because we're running out of time a little bit. But I do want to go into uh, some of the other things you're you're doing quickly as far as uh, you do, you've flown ultralights, also uh, the weight shift trikes, et cetera. So ex- yep. explain, I don't know if, if you can explain the difference between those and, and what, uh, what the implication would mean to us as far as pilot certificates. What would we need sure. to fly them? I, I'm going to, uh, I will, we'll do ultralights very quickly. Ultralights, for those who want to look it up, are c- covered under Part 103 of the Federal Aviation Regulations. Part 103 is only two or three pages long. It's really, really easy. <clears throat> if you build or buy any kind of aircraft that weighs less than 254 pounds, carries less than five gallons of gas, and has one seat, and there's a few other restrictions, you don't need to have it uh, have an end number. It doesn't need to be a registered aircraft. You don't need any pilot license of any kind whatsoever. Uh, You just get in your one seat strapped to a wing that's the flying lawn chair, and off you go. Um, It's a world unto itself for people who really like to experiment. Most of them are home-builts because there's no certification rules. Um, And it's a really interesting world, and we... If we want to talk about that, I think we should probably leave that for another time, and just because we're not going to be able to do it justice. No, definitely, we'll we'll, we'll do that. But I, but one of the things I, I wanted to get to is the fact that you're involved in this, but you've had some interesting adventures as of late. As a matter of fact, uh, Jim and I, we ran into each other in an air in the airport at Newark Airport. Uh, I was working, I think, that day, or on my way yep. home, or you were, commuting. You, oh, I think you were on home. your. Yeah, you were commuting home, and my wife and I were on our way to Hawaii, and <clears throat> we're walking through the concourse looking for some place to eat lunch, and we literally bumped into Carl Valeri. <laughs> literally. <laughs> and, and one of the things I thought was so cool is the fact that you're going to Hawaii, There's, which is a state I've never landed in, and uh, you've actually beat me to that, didn't you? So tell us a little bit about that story. Well, um <clears throat> There's a, a, I also fly weight shift control trikes, which are sometimes called powered hang gliders. And it's a little two-seat carriage, looks like a little bit like a motorcycle with three wheels and a wing. And it doesn't have a tail, it just has a delta wing. These are small and light and you're outdoors. It's like a motorcycle. You're outdoors wearing a helmet. And I fly these and I found out that there are some folks who have these on the north shore of Oahu Island in Hawaii. That's the island with Pearl Harbor and Honolulu on it. And that's where we were going. So I asked um, Paul Hamilton, my instructor in the weight shift world, um, 
where we could go. And he recommended Paradise Air on the North Shore of Oahu. And so during my vacation, um, we drove across Oahu to the North Shore, which is much more rural, much more scenic, much more less uh, populated than the South Shore. And I went for a one-hour scenic tour of the coastline with Paradise Air, Denise, great pilot. And that's really the way to do some tourist sightseeing in an area with which you're not familiar because you are, you're outdoors. You're not in the cabin. There is no cabin. <laughs> you're, you're just in, in the, it's like being in a motorcycle suspended aloft by a wing. It's the best way I can describe it. And, you know, you can go with one of these uh, folks who will take you if you have no experience and no license whatsoever, and you can just go up and, and do the scenic tour. Or, as I did, since I've been flying them, I was able to fly the, the aircraft for a while. And when I got tired, I let her do it. And I landed a few times. Um, it was a great, it's a great way to combine the vacation, the sightseeing, and aviation all in one. So, yeah, did I make you jealous yet? Yes, you have. That's awesome. <laughs> I, I definitely can go out there and do that. And and we've uh, – how many states is it now that you've landed in? You've been in a whole bunch, haven't you? Yeah, I'm sorry. I don't have a count, but a whole bunch. I – yeah, we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> you, you want a count, I'll get you a count. Yeah, so, yeah so people are always interested in numbers, that's for sure. Well, I, I really would – and we'll put those links out there. I'd love to have you back on because we're running out of time, but we have so many more things to talk about. We didn't get to yeah. airports and, and also, you know, a little something about aviation, aviation maintenance and record keeping, especially record keeping. as, a, as an, an owner. And you've actually, I think it was at Oshkosh, correct me if I'm wrong, where you did a seminar on record keeping. I, I did it at Osh, at uh, AirVenture last year. And I also, and I repeated it twice more at uh, Sun and Fun this past, last month, April. Um, it's, we could talk about that at length if you want, the, the object, objective of that seminar is to educate owners about what should be in their maintenance records, how to maintain maintenance records and purchasers, what to look for in the records of an airplane you're buying and also for sellers, uh, why you should keep your records in good shape for sale. Oh, oh. so I was not orienting it to mechanics. Mechanics already know how to maintain records. This was for the owners. I'd love to do a whole episode just on that. I think that would be very helpful. Uh, so I'd love to have you back to do that, Jim. And, yeah, we and could do that. Be awesome. Well, guys, cool. this has been a lot of fun. Rick, I know this has been exciting and awesome for both of yeah. us because it's it's exciting to hear in your voice, too. Hey, there are some other opportunities to get back into flying again on a consistent basis. Uh, and uh, Yeah, for, because I think some of the – besides, you know, part of – for me, some of it was the money. So all this stuff hits the right button. Some of it was the money. Some of it was the – the mission. I, I didn't really have a mission other than just to go do it. So if the money's lower and it's just a recreation and it feels more like just a recreation thing, then that starts to be a thing that works. You know, when you're, because I get the idea of, of using it as part of a business or to, you know, your life requires it or it's helpful occasionally enough to, to do that. But um, right now that's not true for me. So thinking about it differently, this is, this has been a good conversation. I'm going to yeah. definitely Rick, it, think about It's it. especially good for in your situation because yeah. you were flying Cirrus aircraft. Yes. And that requires some commitment and to get back into Cirrus aircraft, you know, yeah. you have to really say, I want to do this. 
if if you had some avenue to get you into light sport, whether it's gliders or weight yeah. shift or airplanes, I, I, any way you do it, yeah, you don't have quite that commitment. And if you're only in it for the summer, and right. then you put it aside, you're fine. Yeah, just go back and and go up with someone again next summer, whatever. Yeah. yeah. So this it's really good. This is a great conversation. I really appreciate it. Well, Jim, if it's okay, if people have questions, they can send email to us at contact at stuckmikeavcast.com. Is there any other way that uh, they should contact you? Yeah, the best way is Twitter. I'm on there as Pilot Jim G. And um, you'll also hear me from time to time on the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast, but mostly I hang out on the Twitter. Awesome, awesome. And don't forget to listen to, to, to Jim G on that, Pilot Jim G on the uh, Uncontrolled Airspace and our friends over there at the Uncontrolled yeah. Airspace. have uh, you know They've been doing this for quite some time. And oh, 11, 11 years. Wow. Wow. And just, <laughs> yeah, they are, the, they are the gold standard on this. Yes, they are. They definitely are. And we, uh, we appreciate everything they do there. Uh, you know, this is the podcast about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly. And Pilot Jim G, he truly represents that. And it's been wonderful having uh, Jim on here. And also, if, if you're somebody that's interested in getting back into aviation again and having a thinking, gosh, this is too expensive, I hope that listening to Jim has inspired you, uh, just like it's inspired Rick and many others, to, to jump into it again and try out something new. It's a new challenge, just getting a new rating. And if it's not that expensive, gosh, that would be wonderful. Well, anyway, folks, if uh, you want to contact us, don't forget, contact at stuckmikeavcast.com. And don't forget to visit our sponsor. Sponsors, aviationcareerspodcast.com and uh, also don't forget to visit airpros airpros.com uh, it's uh, actually one of the greatest aviation insurers out there I think because one of the reasons is Victoria our great co-host is there so don't forget we'll have those links in here everything by the way everything we talked about will be in the, the show notes at the bottom well folks we'll talk to you next episode and safe long you've been listening to the stuck Mike Abcast. Members of the Stuck Mike Abcast may receive compensation for products or services mentioned during the podcast. Compensation may be received in the form of, but not limited to, referral commissions, free products or service trials. Our opinions and views are never influenced by any compensation, and you should always perform your own due diligence before purchasing any products or services mentioned during the show. The Stuck Mike Avcast is an aviation podcast and a Valeri Aviation Corporation production.